England, 1974. Harold Wilson has entered his second term as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Reg Hedge's infamous dance, The Chuttlesbury, has not yet taken Europe by storm. Somewhere in Liverpool, a flock of ducks weeps in unison over Brazil's performance in the FIFA World Cup. Nobody knew that in quiet, unassuming East Umfordshire County, the actions of one deranged individual would shake the nation to its core. Nobody knew of the person known only as the East Umfordshire Dick Kicker. I'm Sam Putnam, and you're listening to Liminal Criminals. Stumfordshire County is a small place, rarely considered, even by UK citizens. With a population of 100,000, the county's largest city is Treadfoot-on-Sturcus, the present home of Sturcorp, a waste disposal consulting firm. It is the site of England's largest natural deposits of weird-smelling sand, a fact which played a pivotal role in Werner Herzog's tragic 1993 film, Folly of the Clam. In 1970, East Umfordshire County was recognized for its record-breaking reduction in crime, following the repeal of a local statute that had made extended eye contact into a felony. In 1971, the International Journal of Counties gave the area a staggering 10 out of 10 in its safety and security rating, a feat which has only been achieved by Bilgewater County in Alabama and Catatonia Bay, a census geographic region in northern Manitoba. In 1973, East Umfordshire had seen a renaissance of sorts. The economy was seeing an upturn. A tourist had actually intentionally visited the area, and a handful of young people were making the effort to look each other in the eye without screaming and running away. The new idyllic contentment in East Umfordshire County posed a stark contrast to the rest of the country. While 1974 in the UK was marked by civil unrest, labor disputes, and the institution of a commercial power restriction known as the three-day week, East Umfordshire escaped the brunt of these problems. As a county that wouldn't be drawn on maps until the 1990s, it failed to attract the attention of any political faction. Its labor problems had largely been handled in 1965, when striking sand workers ambushed their employer, sand magnate and notorious prick Cled Bellingford, threw him into a crate, and shipped him to Peru. And while the rest of the country wrestled with the three-day power restrictions imposed by the government, the hard-working people of East Umfordshire rejoiced at getting an extra two and a half days of electricity on top of what they already had. Life, in short, was good. At least it was until April 23rd. Known as Black Tuesday by the folk of the county, it marked the first sighting of the monster who would terrorize the region for months to come. The man who would come to be known as the Dick Kicker was first seen by Glenn Hudd, who was, at the time, an eight-year-old boy walking home from primary school in Treadfoot-on-Sturcus. In his first and only interview with the media, Hudd described his daily trip home across the sandy, odorous beaches of his hometown as he left the decommissioned tugboat that served as the Treadfoot schoolhouse. It was only when he reached a trailhead at Prostate Rock that his world would forever be changed. 
Hud reported seeing a man with indistinct features walking up the path towards him. He hadn't started kicking at people in the Tonker back then, said Hud, but just looking at him made my skin crawl. I couldn't make anything out about him, and whenever I tried to focus on him, my eyes started to hurt. Despite his fear, Hud continued up the path, not wanting to miss his family's traditional dinner of slothbugger pie. As he approached the figure, he clung towards the edge of the trail, waving a half-hearted hello as he came within arm's reach. Hud continued his account, and that's when he stood stock still and started making this noise, like a sick man doing an impression of a drunk terrier. Sort of a sound. Glenn tried to walk past the man, only to be blocked with every attempt. He squatted down and stepped into my way when I tried to get by him, reported the now visibly shaking HUD. He had his hands up over his head, waving him back and forth and making that horrible noise the entire time. I kept trying to get by, you know, fainting and dodging and whatnot, but every time he just sidestepped into my path. And then he took a step towards me, and I just ran for it. Glenn HUD age eight, ran in terror back towards the schoolhouse and sought an alternate route home. When he finally got there, there was no pie left. Five more people, ranging from a 20-year-old man on a stag weekend to an exceptionally dour six-year-old, reported seeing this same odd, aggressive figure in the coming months. Every time, the report was identical right down to the onomatopoeia used to describe the whir 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 noise that the man made. It wasn't until August, however, that the strange figure haunting the paths of Treadfoot on Sturkis would begin his true reign of terror. The first victim of the Dick Kicker, then known as the Treadfoot Trail Wanker, was a 72-year-old pensioner by the name of Jared Delbo. Jared was an active member of the East Umfordshire Seabird Insulting League, who were devotees of a then-popular pastime where participants hurled verbal abuse at oceanic fowl. On the walk back from his daily afternoon session of turn harassment, Mr. Delbo came face to face, and genitals to toe, with horror. In a 1983 interview with the Treadfoot Scraper, Jared Delbo described seeing a tall, thin man somehow cloaked in shadows during the middle of the day. He stood at the edge of the path as still as could be, reported Jared. I knew that he was trouble, but I couldn't tell why. Still fired up from a successful day of spewing epithets at the local fauna, Delbo turned his renowned ire towards his observer, calling him a swine-sucking knobhead and a dweeb. I could tell I was getting to him, said Jared. He was tilting his head from side to side, adjusting his stance and hiking up his foot and grabbing at his ankle. When asked if he thought that the figure was actually just stretching his calves, Delbo a victim of dementia and a lifetime of willful stupidity, called his interviewer an anti-Hungarian slur which I will not repeat. Anyway, he continued, I thought I had him on the ropes, and that's when I brought out the big guns. I've regretted that ever since. Jared unleashed the direst insult that a treadfoot man could turn on another. Things turned for the worst in an instant. I could hear the tension in the air break, recalls Delbo, and then he put his hands on his hips and started sprinting at me. By the time I could turn to run, it had already happened. On August 27th, 1974, Jared Delbo told the East Umfordshire dick kicker to go shove his nose into a flower pot. For his trouble, he was summarily kicked in the groin, becoming the first of a long line of victims. Through a tearful grimace, Jared remembered his trauma. I couldn't do anything about it, he sobbed. I saw him coming towards me. I 
blinked, and then I saw the tip of his boot buried between my legs. As soon as I cried out, he had already vanished. With a sudden grin, Delbo chuckled through his tears, revealing a twist that then shocked the British public. He didn't get me ding-dong, though. I lost that back in the drizzle of 62. You hear that, dick kicker? You didn't get me ding-dong. Interviewer Ken Burnsides then described the old man leaping from his chair in a triumphant bout of cardiac arrest, whereupon he immediately collapsed. Jared Delbo, first victim and technical escapee of the East Umfordshire dick kicker, died in 1983 in the Treadfoot Scraper's only office. He left behind an illegitimate son and a legendary career of slander towards the seabirds of Britain. Given that his final insult was delivered the day prior to his death when he baselessly accused a cormorant of pederasty, I think we can all agree that he was a bastard, and that I hope he rots in hell. The Dick Kicker's initial assault was met with outrage, but not concern. While Jared Delbo was a beloved member of the Treadfoot community, his regular verbal outbursts were known to provoke violence from their targets. This incident was not particularly strange. The dong-bearing folk of East Umfordshire County still felt safe. This changed one month after the first assault. On September 27th, the dick kicker struck again. 30-year-old accountant and macrame enthusiast Sean Mounder had done nothing to provoke the rage of his attacker. In fact, he didn't report seeing anything strange prior to the incident. I was walking back to my car after a long day at the office, said Mounder in an interview with Macrame Monthly. I realized that I left a pack of cigarettes in my desk, and so I started to walk back in when it happened. Mounder reported seeing an indistinct figure, hands on its hips, sprinting across the car park towards him. He was sort of a, well, shouting isn't the right word. It was almost like guttural singing. He was holding the same note, you know, just, ah, the entire time, never wavering. Well, I remembered what happened to old Delby, so I turned and started to run. He wasn't fast enough. Before he could make it back to his car, the fell boot of the East Umfordshire dick kicker struck Sean Mounder in the man tackle. Mounder fell to the ground, clutching at his groin as he saw his assailant sprint off into the distance, vanishing into the mists of the cool autumn evening. More victims soon followed in quick succession. On October 10th, the Treadfoot Vicar caught a boot to the pork sword. On the 17th, an angler in the suburb of Hedgley was kneed in the beef rifle. On the 29th, a farmer in the village of I don't know, on Quit Asking Me, received a devastating roundhouse to his mutton cannon. Another 12 men reported assaults on their ham bazookas by the beginning of December. Faced with public outcry, the East Umfordshire County Council cancelled the region's Christmas festivals, New Year's parties, and International Saffron Appreciation Day orgies. On December 3, 1974, the first snow in East Umfordshire County fell upon a people gripped by fear. The cancellation of yearly festivals had not only dampened the collective spirits of the East Umfordshire populace, it had also driven many of them into hiding. In Treadfoot on Sturkis, over 75% of businesses cut their working hours in half. 30% shuttered their doors entirely, often leaving notes similar to that of the owner of an auto shop who wrote, quote, off, I'm not risking my pink socket wrench for a paycheck. As grocery stores closed and shipping to East Umfordshire dwindled, food shortages emerged. As more and more maintenance workers refused to set foot outside of their homes, brownouts became more common. 
as county sand workers steered clear of their workplaces, rashes of crab-on-crab violence erupted on the East Humfordshire beaches. The situation was untenable. Racked with desperation, a group of citizens in Hedgley came up with a plan. Those at risk of assault would form a buddy system. The East Umfordshire Genital Protection League, or the Phallic Phalanx, was soon born. And it was quite successful, with the county's reports of groinular trauma falling to nearly zero. For a grand total of three weeks. The people of East Umfordshire paid the price for their hubris on December 23, 1974. As is tradition among people with intolerable amounts of Christmas cheer, folks throughout the region began to wander from door to door, belting carols at people who just wanted to get smashed on mulled wine and pass out on the couch. It seemed like the perfect way to spend the Sunday before Christmas Eve. People assumed that it would be a way to celebrate the season while staying safe and unkicked. For the members of the Treadfoot on Sturkus Amateur Contrabaso Society, their assumption would prove tragically wrong. No member of the society was willing to give a direct interview. However, in his book, Smelling Sand, Smashed Sausages, and Oral History of East Umfordshire County, historian George Cartwright was able to paraphrase accounts of that night. According to eyewitnesses, the carolers had made it through the southernmost neighborhood of Treadfoot on Sturkus, lovingly dubbed the Chowderpot by locals for its production of mollusk-infused gin. Giddy with Christmas spirit and drunk on the region's famed cocktail of Welknog and Tonic, the revelers made their way from home to home before passing the Sultry Seal, a local pub. Looking to finish their night, the Contrabaso Society walked to the doors of the establishment, bellowing forth an off-key rendition of Adeste Fidelis. It was Society Chairman Philip Trebley who first saw what would happen next. There, rounding the building, hands akimbo and singing a dissonant C-sharp, was the figure that had terrorized their community. To Trebley's surprise, however, the dick kicker did something that he had never done before. He slipped and fell. The contrabasos laughed at their seeming fortune. On this day before the day before Christmas, it seemed, the heavens had granted them a gift. The men of the chorus readied their boots, ready to take their vengeance on the unfortunate creature skidding towards them on the icy pavement. Perhaps they should have known it was a trap. Perhaps they should have guessed that the East Umfordshire dick kicker would transition from this seeming pratfall into a blisteringly fast log roll that would sweep them off their feet and into the air like a bunch of drunk bowling pins. Perhaps they should have known that their assailant would then transition to a perfect stationary handstand, windmilling his legs at their Yule logs with enough speed and ferocity to keep all seven of them in the air for a good twenty seconds before righting himself and sprinting off into the night whooping in triumph. Had they done so, perhaps the East Umfordshire region wouldn't have lost seven of its bases and gained as many sopranos. But, alas, they didn't, and the harmonics of the Treadfoot on Sturkus Church Choir would never be the same again. Other carolers in the county suffered similar fates. On the other side of Treadfoot, the Jim and Tim Memorial Club's rendition of Silent Night was cut short. Ten miles away in Hedgley, the St. Melvin's Yule Choir had made it to the secret 13th verse of the Twelve Days of Christmas before being brought to a violent and premature end. On the county outskirts, in the village of Her Majesty's Nuclear Waste Disposal Site No. 7, the East Umfordshire Society for the Preservation of Oral Hygiene didn't even manage to make it to the first note of their novelty hit, It's Christmas, Baby, Did You Remember to Floss? The speed and ferocity of these attacks, known as the Yuletide Terror, 
shattered what little security the people of East Dumfriesshire had left. Not only was the dick kicker able to effortlessly bring down throngs of people, he either had accomplices or was able to cross the entire county in a matter of minutes. They couldn't fight, and they couldn't run. The only thing left to do was hide. East Dumfriesshire County welcomed the Christmas Eve lockdowns. Residents of all ages, sexes, and genital statuses accepted that, for a time, they could only leave their homes for their necessities. They even rejoiced that their excursions could only be made under the protection of an enclosed vehicle, a police escort, and their granddad's codpiece from the war. Once again, the people felt a modicum of security. But like a squirrel at a bird feeder, the dick kicker soon adapted. The first person to learn this was professional extreme gardener Norman Mickelson, a local celebrity who once had his pruning technique condemned by Amnesty International. Mickelson was no stranger to the threat of violence, and had already locked himself inside his home in late November, saying that the soil around his prized begonias smelled of bloodshed and pain. Given that Mickelson regularly said this sort of thing, people were all too happy to see him retreat from society. The interior of Norman's compound was a horticultural gauntlet of death. While most of the plants had died off or gone dormant for the winter, a number of his prized specimens still menaced any would-be intruder, including a rosebush that consisted entirely of thorns, a variety of pine with neurotoxic sap, and a pear tree that he insisted was capable of hatred. Of all the people in the county, Norman Mickelson seemed the safest. On January 1st, 1975, Mickelson woke up to hear a strange knocking sound outside his kitchen window. Armed with a spray bottle of weed killer, he crept towards the source of the noise. In interviews taken during Norman's few moments of lucidity following his encounter, investigators managed to gather what happened. According to this piecemeal account, Mickelson looked up into the sadomasochistic apple tree planted outside of his window to see a figure sitting in its branches, waving back at him. Before Mickelson could move, the figure hurled itself from the tree, foot first, towards the window. It descended through the double-glazed pane and delivered a blow to Mickelson's Johnson with enough force to shatter his pelvis. Emergency forces were quick to arrive, but slow to navigate through the paranoid gardener's defensive perimeter. By the time they reached him, Norman Mickelson was in the throes of shock-induced delirium. He would die of his injuries five days later, making him the first, and only confirmed, casualty of the East Umfordshire dick kicker. Norman Mickelson's death was the final straw for the people of East Umfordshire County, and indeed for England as a whole. In January, Treadfoot on Sturcus, its people overcome by fear and helplessness, quickly fell into anarchy. Vigilante mobs, often referred to as kicker crews, roamed the street, searching for individuals who closely resembled the person who terrorized their community for the previous months. Of course, since the defining feature of the East Umfordshire dick kicker was his indistinct appearance, these crews quickly resorted to assaulting the most convenient targets, blurry-looking men. The most notorious of the kicker crews were the Hedgley Harriers, led by Harold Bendy, model ship taxonomist and regional chair of the Royal Society for Survivors of Astigmatism. Mr. Bendy was known for his tendency to carry a rubber mallet with him on his mob's patrols, searching for the county's elusive tormentor. With this mallet, he meted out justice with a terrible fury that was as swift as it was inaccurate. While the dick kicker continued to attack county citizens during this period, Bendy, or as he came to be known, Harry the Hedgley Hammerer, made nearly twice as many attacks. Despite their lack of success, kicker crews gained broad acclaim throughout England. 
Among more conservative elements of the British public, the dick-kicker was emblematic of the era's chaos and the downfall of traditional values and cried out for an appropriate punishment. Poorly thought-out songs such as Punt the dick-kicker in his old nut bag and smile, smile, smile enjoyed a brief moment in the limelight. Among the rebellious youth, the scourge of East Umfordshire was yet another assault on the beleaguered young people of the UK. Kicker crews even drew worldwide attention. East Umfordshire County saw an influx of support from the continent, ranging from the French Ligue des Bautours to the West German Schwanzschild. In America, a number of travelers were denied passage after newly adopted metal detectors revealed that they were carrying firearms onto their flights, aiming to, as one passenger aptly put it, find that dick kicker over in England and fill him full of lead. For a single moment, the world turned a sympathetic eye towards the long-ignored East Umfordshire County. It is ironic, then, that as the county gained notoriety for its rapid descent into fear and chaos, its scourge just as quickly vanished. In January of 1975, 25 dick kicker assaults were reported. In February, that number had fallen to 14. In April, the terror of East Umfordshire County struck only twice. The last reported attack by the dick kicker occurred two months later, on June 17, 1975. The victim, one William Dickinson, reported that following the attack, as he crumbled to the ground, he could see his assailant slump his shoulders and issue a soft, almost disappointed sigh before walking off into the summer evening. No confirmed sightings or attacks by him have been made since. The ensuing years in East Umfordshire County were marked by an uneasy peace. The regional government didn't officially celebrate any holidays until 1980, when the conservatism of Thatcher-era Britain inspired a return to traditional Christmas festivities. In Treadfoot on Sturcus, a Christmas tree was set up in the town square. In Hedgley, holly and ivy lined street lamps. In the village of Little Thimble Blunder, the traditional mauling of the actuary drew visitors from around the county. But even then, over five years after the first attack, the people of the county were different. Their celebrations were muted. Their demeanor was cautious. They stood with their legs as close together as humanly possible. While the fear of the East Umfordshire people has largely subsided, its echoes can still be seen. Dick Kicker Memorial Day is unofficially celebrated by denizens and businesses in the county, where celebrants have dinner with friends, refuse to leave their homes, and wear decorative crotch armor. In Treadfoot on Sturcus, a statue was erected to commemorate victims of the Dick Kicker, portraying a man doubled over in pain, hands on his groin. London art critic Jennifer Tamsley hailed the work as, quote, truly unfortunate. The terror of East Umfordshire County has inspired a handful of copycats. In 1983, teenaged hooligan Carl Fletcher donned a grey trench coat and stalked into the night looking for victims. On Christmas in 1992, Bruce Delbo, illegitimate son of the Dick Kicker's first victim, attempted to assault a group of carolers in an incident similar to the attack on the East Umfordshire Contrabaso Society. On November 9, 2009, Kevin Bleb, a disgruntled consultant at Sturcorp, successfully need two victims who wished to remain anonymous in the purple-headed yogurt slinger. None of these incidents managed to reignite the terror of their predecessor. Fletcher was quickly apprehended by police and sentenced to six months in juvenile detention. Bruce Delbo failed to land a blow on any of his would-be victims, and was instead beaten within an inch of his life. Kevin Bleb, the only successful member of the three, 
went missing the day after his assault. He was found two weeks later in dumpsters on Treadfoot on Sturcus and in Hedgley. He had been bisected from groin to skull. An investigation into the matter has since revealed that the implement used to do it was blunt, thick, and left traces of boot leather in the victim's body cavity. The case was soon closed, and no efforts to reopen it have been reported. Who was the East Umfordshire dick kicker? Speculation abounds, ranging from a cadre of black ops soldiers researching psychological warfare to a lone time-traveling martial artist seeking vengeance for an unknown crime. None of these theories have borne fruit. Perhaps we'll never know, and this strange, violent figure will vanish anonymously into the mists of time. But for now, he continues to stalk, in the nightmares of one English county, the distant memories of the UK people, and the spirit of every poor bastard who's just been kicked in the penis. This has been Liminal Criminals. I'm Sam Putnam. I'll see you next time, and remember, when they speak, all will hear. Liminal Criminals is a work of fiction by SCWR Productions. It was written and edited by Sam Putnam and co-written by Krista Golden. Our theme song is Thonic Riviera by Cornu Amonis. Find us on Twitter at LiminalCast. All relevant links are in the show notes.